So I figured it would be appropriate to review some practical halachas and customs and stuff about Purim. Um, always a good idea to review practical things as the holidays come. Um, I'll also just point out two relative, there's many books in the library on Purim, but two relatively new ones which may be of interest. One is this one, The Laws and Customs of Purim, which um, uh, wants a little in terms of graphic design, but it's full of uh, very good content. And um, on a different genre is a historical, agricultural, and geographical perspective. This is the history of Purim, which um, is supposed to be a very good book. And it's actually donated by Bob and Cheryl Wasserman, what do you know? Um, okay. Um, so let's try and sort of go chronologically. And um, was that funny? Okay. Coming up, um, first, okay, we've passed Shabbat Zohar. Let's get to our notes. Mivtza Purim. The Rebbe very much encouraged everybody to, in, to um, help other Jews that they know to fulfill the mitzvahs of Purim. Um, there's primarily there's four mitzvahs of Purim. There's hearing the Megillah, and having a feast. Now, the, the hardest of those to influence other people, especially in this country, is Megillah. Because for people who don't understand Hebrew, to sit for a minimum of, you know, even if you do it fast, it's half an hour, it can be very difficult. But the other mitzvahs of Purim, are very easy to help other people fulfill, even if um, it's not the best way to do the mitzvah, but you even fulfill the mitzvah of by just exchanging portion of foods with, a, with another person, so if you give two people Mishleich Manus and you'll tell them, or you give somebody, they say, give it back to me, and then you give it back to them, so that, that would, by, just by giving you for the food, they fulfilled one of the mitzvahs. Um, the rabbi also encouraged numerous times to, that people should come to shul to hear the leaning. In the morning of Purim, we read the story of Amalek from the end of Parshish Peshalach, and that was also part of Mitzvah Purim, to encourage people to come to shul to, to, to hear that leaning. In general, we'll see soon that uh, it's better for everybody, for women, etc., to hear the Megillah in shul, in public, with a big crowd, etc. Obviously, women who have children at home might be difficult, and they may have somebody come and read the Megillah for them in the house, etc. But if, if at all possible, everybody should come to shul both by night and by day to hear the Megillah. And if you come by day, you make sure to come a few minutes early to hear the reading of the Torah before, um, before the reading of the Megillah. Um, Tainus Esther. So the fast starts in the morning. Uh, you look on the calendar, the exact time. It's probably around 5:45. Um, now, if you if you went to sleep, with you have to if you intend to get up early to eat, um, you that's okay. But if you don't intend, you just went to sleep and then you happen to woke up at five o'clock, wake up at five o'clock and say, hey, you know, I could get up now and have breakfast, so that's not okay. Once you've gone to sleep, unless you specifically had in mind that you're accepting that you're going to wake up to eat earlier, then you're not allowed to eat. However, you can drink. So if you went to sleep intending to wake up at 7 o'clock and just, you know, obviously already during the fast, and you happen to wake up at 5 o'clock, then you may get up and have a coffee, but uh, no eating. Um, the reason why we fast on Tanis Esther is... Um, it's different than all the other fasts. It's not uh, in any way a, a time of mourning. 
it's um, it's actually considered a special Yisratzun, a special auspicious time. And the reason we fast was because that's the day that the Jews went to battle. And any time that the Jews went to battle, we know in, in such a time the, the, the Jews fast as an extra prayer to Hashem. And um, so we fast to commemorate the fast that the Jews did then. It's a special Yisratzun. In many communities, there's special tefillahs that they say on Tanis Esther. Um... Uh, the Rebbe actually suggests, I think, in a letter that the reason why it's called Tanis Esther is because that day was declared a fast day. But practically speaking, the only person who actually fast was Esther. Be- fasted was Esther because everybody else was going to war. And when you go into war, you can't fast because you need to have um, the proper energy. Um, if you ate or drank something by mistake, you still you do need to continue fasting. If you have any sickness or anything, um, you're feeling weak, whatever it is, Tanis Esther is more lenient than the other fasts, um, and um, ask your local competent Orthodox rabbi what you should be doing. Machtes um, HaShekel, it's probably the next thing on the list here, hold on. Yeah, so the custom is, um, in the times of Beis HaMikdosh, they would give machtes hashakel this time of the year for the karbonis. Everyone that was there, uh, uh, how do you call it? That was their participation in all the sacrifices throughout the year in the temple. So it's customary to give zeichel machtes hashakel to remember the machtes hashakel. We give half a dollar coin. The, the minhag used to give three half dollar coins. Um, to be honest, I don't remember why we give three. Um, perhaps it's connected to the fact that in the beginning of Pasha's Truma, we say three, well, there's three types of Truma. There was a half the shackle for the Mishkan, for the Adonim, and the Karbonis. Whatever the case is, the Minag is to give three. Now, there's a common mistake over here that people think that you give the three coins three times. Uh, you don't give it three times, you just... You, Okay, let's back up a second. Some have the custom to give sil- silver coins. Now, so some have questioned that custom because the way it's done practically is that the shul has three silver half-dollar coins, and I buy those half-dollar coins with a dollar and a half, and then I give them. Now, the truth is that that's not a very fair deal because those half silver half-dollar coins are worth a lot more than half a dollar, and um, who, what gives the, the shul the right to sell them to me for a very, very far below market value. Um, so that's a question. The mindset of the Minhag seems to be that people do give the silver half dollar coins. You're going to buy them and give them straight back. Um, one way, to, if you want to be to all the shittas, is to buy them with regular silver half dollar coins. Then either way, you're yoytza. With regular silver so In other words, so, get, so, so, so tra- take your $5 bill and change it out for regular half-dollar coins. But then not use, silver. The right, then use those half-dollar coins to buy the silver dollar coins, and then you're, you're certainly okay. In other countries, there's some in England, in other countries, <laughs> there's questions how to fulfill the mitzvah because there's no coin that's called a half. There is a coin that's 50p in England, for example, which is half a pound, but it's not referred to as a half pound. It's referred to as 50p. So... There's a question how to do it, but in America that's not a problem because the half dollar coin is actually referred to as half a dollar. 
so that's okay. If you didn't do it before, oh, once one more thing, it's customary to do it on behalf of all your family members, your wife and all your children. So um, if you have a wife and two children, so then you're going to give a total of any minimum of six dollars. And um, but you give you give for each one separately the three coins once. There's no need to do it three times. You take the three coins and you do it once. Um, once you have started that minhag of doing it for your wife and children, you must continue that minhag for the rest of your life. Um, if you didn't do it before Tana Sesta, you could do it. Uh, you could do it after Mincha. You could do it on Purim morning. Even if the children are grown and doing it themselves. No, once the children are grown and doing it themselves, that's okay. You don't need to. Um, okay, it's customary to wear Shabbos clothes on Purim, um, even if you're going to wear a costume, um, uh, certainly yeah, it may be appropriate to put on the costume after you finish davening um, and reading the Megillah, but uh, certainly if you're not wearing a costume, it's appropriate to come to shul um, wearing Shabbos clothes. Um, so, yeah. When it comes to costumes, strictly speaking, there are leniencies when it comes to a man wearing woman's clothing and vice versa. There's leniencies um, about tzitzis. So, for example, if you're wearing some uh, robe to be a Kohen Gadol or some other Asian, whatever it is, which has four corners, again, strictly speaking, one can be lenient about tzitzis. Um, there's even certain leniencies when it comes to certain types of shatnas, shatnas midrabanon. Um, but practically speaking, especially for people over Baran Bas Mitzvah, we recommend staying away from those type of shilas. So if you do have a costume that includes a robe with four corners, um, if it belongs to you or if the owner doesn't mind, you cut one of the corners round, um, then, <coughs> then that's for certainly better. Um, now, it's forbidden to, 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 once it comes night, it's forbidden to eat and drink before you hear the Megillah, and it's forbidden to take a nap, etc. If somebody has a, um, if somebody is, has a great need, and if, you know, you've been fasting the whole day, and you, you, you can't last another 45 minutes to hear the Megillah, so then um, if it's permissible to take a drink, and, um, pass, and, and if necessary, also a small snack. Conversely, usually um, most people are fine. The person who's reading the Megillah sometimes needs to have a glass of water to be able to project his voice, etc. Where this is relevant is often with uh, women who are not fasting, or pregnant or nursing, whatever it is. So they're eating regular the whole day. So they have to remember that come the time, they have to stop eating until after they, 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 they hear the Megillah. Um, we say the extra vial hanisim in... In in um, in Ma'ariv, and all the prayers of of Purim, we say Valanism. If you forgot to say Valanism, you do not repeat um, Shemun Asra. If you remembered before you finished that bracha, um, you can still say it. And in the annotated Siddur, I'm sure it has all those instructions. Um, we do not announce Valanism in uh, before Ma'ariv because before the Amida because. You can't interrupt your davening at that, that stage of davening, so we should not interrupt. Um, now, um, okay, before we talk about the schedule of the day of Purim, let's talk about some halachas about reading the Megillah. Um, page 
You know what? I'm gonna. I'm actually. I'm just. I'm using this as a platform, so I'm gonna go here, so I don't forget anything important. Let's move on to the day. Um, you know what? I'll say a few more things about the night. Um, even though the mitzvah to drink wine and the mitzvah to have a feast on Purim is on Purim day, it's also customary to have a festive meal and to have your candles lit at home and set up in a festive way on the table. Um, on the first night of Purim, of course, here in Beis Menachem, we do that over here. We have a meal, a breakfast, and a festive meal over here on the night of Purim. But if you're not going to be here, it's uh, ideal to do that at home. But obviously, that, that does not fulfill the obligation of the mitzvah of the Feast of Purim. Um, even though you're partying a whole night, make sure you get up early to say Kriyashma on time and to Davin, etc. Um, we continue, if you didn't give Machtus HaShachel yesterday, do it today before Davening. Machtus um, HaShakel is not to be confused with Matonis Levyonim, with gifts to the poor. Um, we'll see soon that the, all the mitzvahs of Purim you should really do after Shachris, because that means you come to Shul with your bags of Mishlayach Manas and everything, don't give it to your friends until after Shachris. Why? Because we read the Megillah twice on Purim, once by night and once by day. So the first time you read the Megillah, we say Shachriyonu. Does Shech, what about the second time? Do we say Shachiyana the second time when we read it in the morning or not? So that's an achroi, because it's actually one of the one of the customs where with Chabad we do not follow what the Alter Rebbe says. The Alter Rebbe says not to say Shachiyana by day. We do say Shachiyana by day because the Tzamach Tzedek, who was the Alter Rebbe's grandson, um, rules that we do say Shachiyana. And in general, the principle is Halachik Kabasra, that you always follow the Halacha of the one who was later, because he knew what his the ones, those prior to him said, and despite that rule that we do say Shekhinah, so we do say Shekhinah. However, the Shekhinah that we say during the Megillah on the day applies not just to the reading of the Megillah, but also to the other mitzvahs of Purim. And so, um, to giving Mishlech Manus, you're supposed to have in mind, when you hear the Shekhinah by day, you have in mind that this Shekhinah should, should also apply to having the Feast of Purim, and to Mishlech Manus, and to, and to, uh, no? and to gifts to the poor. So that's why you shouldn't give the Mishleich Manus or the gifts to the poor before Shachris, because you want the Shachiyonu to apply. Now, when it comes to gifts, Mishleich Manus, you just keep it till after Shachris. When it comes to gifts to the poor, if the opportunity to give tzedakah uh, presents itself before Shachris, somebody comes and asks you for money, then of course you don't refuse because you haven't said Shachiyonu, but I believe it would be appropriate to give them the money and for yourself to have in mind that this money that you're giving them does not fulfill the obligation of Matanus Lavyonim. I'm just giving this money as plain tzedakah and I'm going to give again money after Shachris to fulfill the Matanus Lavyonim um, uh, after Shachriyonov. What about giving money before Purim? Right, so now all the emails went out to give right. to give money before Purim. So, I'll get back to that if I forget to. Please remind me. But, but Machtis Hashekel you can give before davening. Um, and if you didn't do it the day before, that's that, that's um, that's good. Okay, um, one should keep one's tefillin on. We mentioned, I happened to mention this last week also. You should keep your tefillin on for the Megillah because of the Megillah we say the pasuk which we. The four terms for celebration that we use, and vikar The last one vikar refers to tefillin, and therefore it's appropriate to wear one's tefillin during the daytime um, Megillah reading. Again, of course, it should be dressed in Shabbos clothes, etc. Okay, um, we don't work on Purim. 
um, shouldn't, one shouldn't go to work and one shouldn't have construction or any work done in one's house. And it says that if one does do work on that on Purim, he will not see a simin bracha, will not see blessing from that work that is done on Purim. If a person, yeah, so it's, so if one is able to take the day off work, that is definitely appropriate. If one is not able to take the day off work, um, then you know, I guess speak to her of guidelines of what to do and what not to do. Um, yeah, but in general, one should definitely try to take off work, and if you can't, then at least you know do the bare minimum, go in as late as you can, leave as early as you can. Some people, sometimes in some scenarios, it's enough to just show your face for a little bit, um, etc. Sometimes you can make up the work, and you know, in your own time, uh, the next day or whatever it is. Okay. What some people do, <coughs> they work at home. Yeah. Yeah, so that's also better. That's, that working that's at home better, is not better, better than going to work. Yes, know. but working at home is also not. <coughs> is also uh, working. It's not. Uh, yeah, I know, but at yeah. least they don't go into the office. Yeah. Okay. Um, fine. Okay, children also, we have to educate children to hear the Megillah, but of course, if they're going to disturb, then don't bring them to shul. And Baruch Hashem, locally, there's many opportunities to hear the Megillah if you need to, uh, you know, different times of the day where you could, if necessary. Here in shul, we're going to have a Megillah reading um, specifically designed for parents with young children, and so if the children make noise, the Balkaira will stop and wait. So you don't need to feel bad to bring children there. It'll be in the children's room. So you know, if uh, it can be, it could be the other shul. Could also have it? I'm not sure. Okay. Um. Okay. You have to hear the Megillah live from the Malkaira, one of the very famous early letters from the Rebbe who spoke about that you can't hear the Megillah on a microphone or on the radio. Um, this is also practically relevant to people who wear hearing aids. If you wear hearing aids, you should take them off or turn them off, whatever it is, <coughs> um, before you hear the Megillah. Um, now, if somebody can't hear anything without hearing aids, um, then presumably... I don't know, probably they shouldn't hear them, they don't need to hear them again, or whatever the case is, but if you can hear and it's just easier for you to hear with hearing aids, um, apparently there's something called mechanical hear hearing aids, which just amplify the sound mechanically, But if which is, would be okay. But if there are electric hearing aids, um, which is not really amplifying the sound, it's, di it's digitalizing the sound, and I know we've argued about this before, you say, uh, even if you hear somebody on the other side of the window, it's the same thing, but why so that's the halacha, that... Um, we haven't argued. Well, um, the halacha is yeah that if once the voice has been digitalized, that's not halachically considered the voice, and therefore you should take off the hearing aids and um, that you could stand closer to the balkaira. You can just turn them off, right? You turn them off, yeah, whatever. Um, and you could stand up close to make sure you're hearing every word properly. Um, so the Balkaira usually recites the bracha on everybody's behalf. So of course you do not say baruch baruch shemay, um, <coughs> and um, and, uh, and and ideally everybody should stand for the brachas, even though you can't sit. So the the Balkaira stands for the reading of the Megillah, but the congregation 
can sit for the duration of the Megillah if they want to, um, but you should stand for the brachas. Now, now the thing is like this: when it comes to reading the Megillah, so of course you have to hear the Megillah read from a kosher Megillah. But if and it's best to hear every single word from a kosher Megillah. But if you um, read um, a, a minority, a small amount of words from a printed chumash or by heart, um, then you still fulfill the obligation as long as those words don't constitute an entire chapter or an entire piece. Entire, you know. So here's the thing: when you're here listening to the Megillah. It's important that you hear every single word, and not just every single word, every single letter of every single word. So, for example, when everybody bangs Haman, um, the Balkhara should read the word Haman again, because it's possible that people left out, uh, skipped the N of Haman, because everybody was banging already. So, that's why the Balkhara repeated. Now, what if you, if the Balkhara mumbled a word, or you, you somehow didn't hear a word? So, it's complicated, because really what you could and should do then is let's say you 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 you, you missed the word the balkhara swallowed it whatever it is you think you missed the word um, so you should catch up and read from the chumash quickly until you catch up to him because that way those words that you read from the chumash so it's okay as long as you hear most of the megillah from the balkhara practically speaking um, that's difficult because unless you're very fluent to be able to read it without making any mistakes in the vowels, yeah, any mistake could disqualify it if, it's, if it changes the word. So to be able to read fast, to be able to catch up and make sure you're not making any mistakes um, is very difficult. So what I recommend is like this. First of all, um, the Balkhara in this rule tries to be very careful to pronounce um, every word and um, clearly so that there shouldn't be any issues. If at any point, if you're in this shul, I can't talk for anybody else, but if you're in this shul and if at any point during learning you think you may have skipped a word, please do not hesitate to interrupt and ask me to go back and repeat it. I'll be very happy to do so. Um, and uh, do not be embarrassed and do not whisper. And do not whisper and just make it very loud because I'm concentrating, I can't hear what's going on, but if you say loud, uh, go back, whatever it is, or come to the bima and motion to me and you know tell me what it is. I'll be very happy to repeat the verse. Ideally, we don't speak in the middle of the Megillah, if possible. Um, um, right. If you did not hear a word of the Megillah, then you have to hear the Megillah again. If you actually did skip a word, or even even if you think you, you, you skipped a word, you have to hear the Megillah again from that point on. It's not good enough to just hear that word, because the Megillah has to be read in order. So if you skip the word in chapter 5, and um, then you have to go to another Megillah reading and hear from okay. chapter 5 all the way to the end again. Um, so now, pay attention to the beginning. if you do have a kosher Megillah, um, you can and some, some, yeah, you can and some would say prefer to read with word for word with the Balkhara if you have a kosher Megillah. Of course, that is provided that you are 100% fluent with um, all the words and everything in the Megillah. Um, okay. Um, some say there's a different text of the bracha if you're reading it only for women, Lishmaya Megillah, to hear the Megillah rather than to read the Megillah. Um, women do not read the Megillah, certainly not to be mighty other men and, and also not to be mighty other women. It's um, Women should only hear, hear the Megillah from a man. And nowadays there are some more... Uh, 
progressive uh, groups that want uh, egalitarianism and they want to have Megillah readings by women for women. Halakhically, those are questionable and should be avoided, unless there's absolutely no other option. Um, now, there's a bracha after the Megillah. Harav we discussed this bracha after the Megillah a few weeks ago in the context of bracha smucha That Why does the bracha after the Megillah start with a baruch if it's connected or is it connected to the brachas before the Megillah? The Maisa, there are two opinions as to the nature of this bracha. Some say, and we discussed this then, some say that it is a bracha after the Megillah, sort of a bra- an after bracha on the Megillah, just like you have an after bracha for an aliyah to the Torah. Um, and some say that it's nothing to do with the Megillah, it's just a bracha to thank Hashem and to publicize the miracle, which we happen to say after the Megillah. Some of the practical differences are, um, first of all, um, do you roll up the Megillah before that bracha or after that bracha? Now, officially, the Chabad custom is, if, you, if it's a bracha on the Megillah, so then you first you say the bracha, and then you roll it up. But if it's just a bracha that happens to be said, then, then it would be appropriate to first roll up the Megillah, which is more respectful, and then to say that bracha. The Chabad custom is to say the bracha before you roll up the Megillah, but, um, but, um, but the Rebbe did start rolling up the Megillah before the bracha. So you sort of, if I mean, I personally I have those, you know, those clips. So I just release one of the clips and roll up the first half of the Megillah, and then I say the bracha. Um, there's also, now that bracha is only said with a minion. Again, there's different customs, but the Maizadot bracha is only said with a minion, which sort of seems to suggest that we consider it to be not to be a bracha on the Megillah. Um, there's a question, it's questionable if you have ten people, which include women. Does that count? Obviously we don't count women for a minion, for davening, for Kaddish, etc., but because women are obligated to hear the Megillah, um, do women count for, if, you have, if you're reading the Megillah for ten women or for five men and five women, can you recite that bracha? That remains a question. Um, personally, I do say it in such scenarios. Okay. Um, of course, um, yeah, it's the custom, Chabad's custom, that any, anybody who has a kosher Megillah should fold it up. Um, like a letter, and nowadays I don't know if we fold up letters like that, but the idea is a scroll, uh, you know, a rolled up scroll connotes a safer scroll, whereas folded up paper is is a letter, Um, and um, so that's how we we do that. Um, Okay, there's the four psukim that you read that we start, the Balkhara stops and everybody says together. Now, those psukim, it doesn't matter if you make a mistake in, in the pronunciation because the Balkaira is going to repeat it and you're going to hear it from the Balkaira. However, if it's taking you too long and you're going slow and the Balkaira is going to start uh, saying it, then just stop wherever you are and listen to him. That's obviously um, more important. In addition to the four psukim, it's also um, customary that the Balkaira stops and everybody reads the Ten Sons of Haman in one breath. Again, you have to read all of that in one breath, and there's some very hard words to pronounce in there. Do your best you can, and then when the Balkhira starts reading, make sure you stop and listen to every word um, he says. Um, okay, Matanas Lavyonim. So we already said before that Matanas Lavyonim should be given ideally after davening. Um, now, the minimum obligation you fulfill by giving Matanus Lavyonim to two people, to two poor people, um, with a minimum of, well, 
it's questionable how much the minimum is. Some say the minimum is even as little as five or ten cents. Some say the minimum is a bit more than that. Now, of course, it's praiseworthy to expend a lot more money on Matanas Lavyonim. And in fact, even though it's praiseworthy to spend more money than absolutely necessary on the other mitzvahs of Purim as well, but specific emphasis should be given to the mitzvah of Matanas Lavyonim. Now, the basic requirements for Matanas Lavyonim cannot be fulfilled by. Um, by w- using money of miser, tzedakah money, because you can, the principle is you don't use miser money for anything that is an obligation. So you give a few dollars of your personal funds for matanas of yonim, but if you want to give extra matanas of yonim, it's certainly okay to use tzedakah money, miser money, for that purpose. Um, women and children should ideally give their own money for Matanas Lavyonim. So, you know, your wife might tell you, okay, go to shul and you'll give Matanas Lavyonim on my behalf as well, but it's definitely more appropriate if they give their own money. You, you could give them, give them a $20 bill, whatever it is, and then they should could give it even back to you and appoint you as their shliach to give it over to um, whoever is handling the Matanas Lavyonim um, funds. Um, in general, the, you, not everybody who asks you for money you have to give, you could see if, are the, is it a legitimate need here in Chicago they have the green papers um, but on Purim we don't, uh, we're not careful about that, anybody anybody who asks for money on Purim um, one should give um, generously um, now if, if, if I don't want to address Steve's question, I'm not sure if he's coming back Steve? yeah, I'm right back yeah. um Okay, so you asked about giving matanas lavyonim before Purim. So here's the way, there's, there's different opinions about this, and I'll, I'll explain how it works. Ideally, you're supposed to give matanas lavyonim on Purim, and, the, and ideally it should be after the Megillah, so the Shechayonu applies to it, and even without that, it should be on Purim. It's one of the mitzvahs of Purim. And also... Um, um, it should be distributed. It should re- um, it sh- should be received by the poor people on Purim. Now the challenge with that, especially in modern times, is I mean it used to be that there were poor people in town, and there would be a gabbite stalker, and he would spend his Purim going around to give them all envelopes of cash. Nowadays, when <laughs> things are more first of all things are more global, and even locally things are digitalized, and people are busy, and everybody likes to get things set up, and you know, you need funds. If we have an obligation to give out, if we're going to give out $10,000 on Purim to local, to, local, to local families, then we can't wait till everybody to be f- so from and um, not give us any money until after they've heard the Megillah. And so, you know, we need to prepare for that accordingly. So they send out emails and WhatsApps and, and text messages that everybody should give Matanas Lavyonim ahead of time. Now, it is true that according to many Paskim, um, one does fulfill the obligation of Matanas Lavyonim in that way. In other words, I could give money to the to the Gabbard Stalker today and ask him to distribute it on my behalf um, um, on Purim, and uh, and and that way I fulfill the obligation. Personally, now some so so that's that's a b. Many have suggested, and I don't know if this is ever written in this, if this is in the small print anywhere, that actually I'm not giving, when I make my donation online today to whatever, you know, uh, org, whatever it is, um, 
and then uh, and uh, try to give also to poor people in Israel. Um, that I'm not actually donating it today. I'm just uh, appointing, um, in this case, uh, whoever it is, Rabbi Moskowitz or whoever the local uh, Rabbi Gross, Grossman, as the custodians of that money. And then on Purim is when sort of the money is transferred ownership um, to them. Personally, what I do is, uh, first of all, absolutely, it's very important to donate ahead of time so that the, the money can reach, can reach the people who need it um, with abundance and in a timely fashion, etc. What I do is that I do donate ahead of time to, to a number of different causes for Matanus of Yonim, and I, I, but I have in mind that that's not my fulfillment of the mitzvah of Matanus of Yonim, that's just random tzedakah. And then after Shachras and Purim, I will put some more money to, to the cause, and I'll take another few, you know, five, ten, twenty dollars, whatever it is, and give it to the Gabbard tzedakah, which will also be distributed on the day of Purim. Um, and that's what I fulfill the mitzvah with. But I've given them uh, also money beforehand so that uh, they have uh, what to work with. Um, now, if for now if the if there aren't funds that will be distributed on Purim, then you do fulfill the obligation even if it's distributed um, after Purim. But of course, the best way is that it's given on Purim and received on Purim. Now, um, when it comes to Mishlech Manus. So it's interesting. There's different reasons for the mitzvah of Mishlech Manus, um, and there are practical ramifications between the two reasons. The, primarily, the two reasons are known as the reason of the Trumas Hadashen. Um, Trumas Hadashen is uh, we've discussed it many times. Yeah, one of the very important paskim. He writes that uh, the reason for Batonus for Mishlech Manus is so that people have food for their feast. Right, um, the Manus Halevi, Shlomo Alkavatz, who is the author of the Chadidi, he wrote a sefer called Manus Halevi on the Megillah, and he writes that the reason for Mishlech Manus is Laharbus Reus to promote uh, friendship, camaraderie. Yeah. So there's some practical ramifications. For example, what if um, I sent somebody Mishlech Manus, but he didn't actually receive it on Purim? Um, well, he knows I sent it, but he doesn't. He didn't actually receive it. So if it's yes, promotes friendship. If I send him something, but it doesn't actually help him have the the Purim feast. Either way, to fulfill the obligation of Sudas Purim, you need to have two foods. It could be a food and a drink. It could be two foods. It doesn't have to be. A, there seems to be a myth out there that you have to have two separate brachas. That's not true. It doesn't have to be the same bracha, but it does have to be um, two foods. It's questionable if it's two of the same type of food. If you have two types of meat, for example. Does that um, does that count? But uh, certainly, two types of food or a drink, uh, you know, a bottle of orange juice and a hamantash, certainly fulfills the obligation. Actually, it should probably be two hamantashin to make sure it's a kazayas. Um So that's certainly okay. It's um, um, uh, yeah. Some suggest that uh, personally, I find this meaningful. I do it this way. Um, because certainly, according to the reason of the Truma Sadashan, that the idea of Purim, Suda's Purim, is to help, of Mishlech Manus, is to give people food for the Suda of Purim, then when you give somebody, um, you know, a, a cookie and a thing, that's not much of a Suda. I like to give somebody a Danish or some some, some meat or a piece of bread, fish, you know, something that's a, sort of a Bukavidika food. So obviously, you give Mishlech Manus to whoever you give, but I try to give at least uh, one or two um, with a more sort of substantial um, food items. 
Now, the, the mitzvah of, of, of Mishlech Manus applies, it, you fulfill by giving it to one person. The minig of the Rabbeim was to give to three people, and I believe the Rabbi's minig was to give to a Koyen, a Levi, and a Yisrael. Um, we have lots of uh, in-house Leviim over here. Koyenim and Beis Menachem are hard to come by. Um, but uh, th- that there, is, there is such a custom, and of course people give galore. Now, I hope don't mean to dash anybody's Purims here, but unfortunately we do have two people around this table who are in the year of mourning, so we're going to... So you can't go to wa- work because you have to be celebrating the whole day, but you can't really do any of the celebrations in the traditional way. So, uh, <laughs> right. So, first of all, an Oval does have to give Mishloach Manas, it's one of the mitzvahs, but it says, A, he should only give to one person, just to fulfill the mitzvah, shouldn't uh, give to many people, and uh, I think it could be somewhere else, so he should give only to a few people, shouldn't sort of go all out. And he shouldn't give delicacies, he should give more uh, food, uh, you know, give a, give a piece of meat rather than some candy. But besides what I said before, that's, you know, not to give extra delicacies. Also, you don't give Mishloach Manus to a novel. A novel is, you know, part of the morning is that you don't give them gifts, and that applies even on Mishlech, on Purim. So we can't accept them if somebody... Well, if somebody them. gives it to you, well... You throw it back in their face. No, if somebody Say, gives... Get out of here. If somebody <laughs> gives... Wrong with you. Oh, if somebody yeah. gives it to you, there's no prohibition. I, I did see somewhere that if somebody gives it to you... Should we say this is not appropriate? Hold on, let me see. Um, I was thinking of making a sign. Oh, yeah. No, he's... What? Coronavirus, leave it all. He says. <laughs> he says. Don't he, come according to this, to the to, to this book, it says that if somebody gave sent you Mishnah Monis, then you are allowed to accept it. Um, let's see what he says here. Uh, he always like who's he? Well, this is Rabbi Bruin from Granite. This one is Rabbi Goldstein, who always likes to say that everything is forbidden. So he's probably <laughs> going to say no. But let's check. Um, in fact, you could probably look at the index under M. For morning, Warner Avelos. Yeah, Avelos. Now I have to go to A. Um, Avelos, morning, I'm pouring, drinking wine, and Mishlech Monos. Oh, now I have to go to M. Oh my gosh, this is. I started from Mornings. Thank God. It'll be easier for you to clean for Pesach. Your wife will be happy. Um, yeah, we have to gather all the chametz before uh, Pesach comes. Here we go. One sixty-three. 164. So Morna was sent to Shlach Manus. Oh, if a Morna was sent to Shlach Manus, may he accept it? Yes. Unbelievable. Uh, he has a record of it? South Safer, Piscatulus. Okay. Even in person, right. you can't think you could take it. They're not supposed to give it to you, but right. it's also customary, at least, for, again, people sometimes give lots of Mishlech Manus, so you do whatever you want. But at least for the mitzvah part, for the Mishlech Manus that you do as a mitzvah, to not give it directly, but to send it as a sh- with a shliach. So you may see somebody say, you know, Ari, would you please pass this to Steve? Um, it's not just being a shtick. There is such a thing that Mishlech Manus to send Mishlech Manus to involve more people in the mitzvah, whatever different reasons are suggested, to use an agent to deliver the Mishlech Manus. The agent can be anybody, can be kids. It can be even a child, yes. Um, and um, there is such a custom. Okay, what else? Um, oh, I don't even have to get up. You, uh, I saw here that some have a minhag not to say thank you for for receiving Mishlech Manus because I have to give it. 
I don't know why. Anyway, um, okay. So the Suda. Get credit. You, you're supposed to do the anyway. Suda of Purim. <laughs> so we have a Purim feast. Now it's interesting. The mitzvah is to feast. Um, <coughs> at least in theory, you probably don't even have to have bread. It's definitely recommended to have bread, but in theory, if you had a feast with wine and cheese or whatever you had, that fulfills the obligation. However, this also means, and the Ramos says this explicitly, that whereas other times when you have to have a meal, for example, on Shabbos, yeah? So you have to have a meal in the daytime of Shabbos. If you washed and had a piece of bread before the end of Shabbos, then... Yeah, let's say you slept or whatever, you were busy, you were davening, uh, 10 minutes before the end of Shabbos, you washed and had a piece of challah, you fulfilled, you made, you made Kiddush, you washed, you had a piece of challah, you fulfilled the obligation to have a meal on Shabbos, and now you could go and eat your fish and your chalent and thing till 10 o'clock at night, and it's all good. On Purim, that's not the case. On Purim, the Ikra Suda, the main, the main meal has to happen during the daytime of Purim. So, uh, for example, Shkia... Now we change the clock is around six thirty. So in Beis Menachem we call the meal for five thirty, right? Now or for five or five thirty, I don't remember. Either way, um, but so the, the, I guess you have an hour of the meal. Now Hashem will sit here and continue to fabreng and uh, have Ari inspire us um, to till midnight and past and beyond. Mm-hmm. I'm saying we'll sit here till uh, late in the night and fabreng. But That's me being there is inspiration. Mm-hmm. Well, you you give us fodder to yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, yeah, but the the meal has to. It's not, it's not you, you have to rush before six thirty and wash that. You have to actually have the feast um, before, and it's 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 ideal to have meat, um, even to have actual meat on Purim, um, and that applies even to mourners. So on the one hand, we tell mourners that they ideally should not go to public places to have the feast, they should have it at home with their families, but it's, it's perfectly okay to have your family, and you could even have your married children over, whatever it is. And it's not just, I'm going to eat something and wash, and, you know, I think it's about having a feast. It's not, where is it, like on Shabbos and Yom Tov, you have to have a, a meal, and Purim, you're supposed to have a feast. So there's a sort of a, a, a there is this emphasis on celebration, and um, we make the life for the mourners very difficult because we're telling them to celebrate and not to overdo it at the same time. Um, it's customary to have kreplech on Purim, um, the, you know, the, the meat covered in the dome. Some people use chicken, but I think ideally it's supposed to be meat. Um, okay. All right. From after Purim, it's the time, just 30 days from Purim, it's the time to start preparing for Pesach by studying the halachas of Pesach. Um, I, I haven't. I assume that that's what we'll be doing. I have still have to get back maybe next Sunday if I have a chance to prepare it all. Do your request about filling after Myriv. Um But we will be doing some Pesach. One thing that I actually want to focus on: is anybody here gluten intolerant or gluten free? No. Uh, there is a lot, a lot of discussion about oat matzah and what the best is. Oat matzah good and what type of oat matzah. So. Something which I hope. Yes, yeah, so I hope to have time to re- research that and perhaps um, address that in one of the Sundays between now and Pesach. Um, any other questions? Nope. Okay, so nobody has any more questions. I'll I'll remember that.